0: Welcome to American Catholic History, brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you value this content, please become a supporter at slash support I'm Noel Heister Crow,
1: and I'm Tom Crow.
0: Once again, a word of thanks for our supporters. Thank you to everyone who is supporting our work. We are so grateful.
1: Yes, thank you sincerely. We're around 36% of the way to the amount of support we need uh, to do everything with our content and other ideas we have. So if you've enjoyed these episodes, if you've learned something, if you've been inspired or edified, please consider becoming a supporter.
0: You can learn about our support tiers at org slash support. The lowest is just $5 each month. But for more each month, you'll get extra perks.
1: Yeah, like Maybe some of the new stickers that we're getting with these new designs. They're Awesome. Anyway, so yeah, so thank you very much for your support and also for your five-star ratings and kind reviews.
0: Yeah, those really help others find us. And we really appreciate hearing uh, the ways that our work helps you, your kids, your students, your parish, whatever. Thank you. And uh, please keep them coming. Yeah.
1: So all that said, on with the show.
0: Today, we're talking about Joseph Warren Revere the grandson of revolutionary war hero Paul Revere. He was a man of adventure and gallantry who didn't become Catholic until he was 50 years old.
1: And his conversion was an interesting thing. Not much going on for him indicated that it was coming, and very few sources have really much to say about it apart from the fact that it happened. He didn't write about his conversion in in his autobiography, and he really didn't make a fuss about it.
0: Yes, and honestly, the simplicity of his conversion is rather poignant. From what we know, his conversion was real. He was a devout. Catholic after that point, and he left a legacy behind him at his parish in Morristown, New Jersey. But he didn't make a big deal of becoming Catholic. It Kind of remained a private affair.
1: Yeah, but apart from that rather quiet fact, he led a very, very interesting life. Adventure on the high seas, a stint training the Mexican military, capturing a slave ship and setting the slaves free, helping bring California into America, sailing around the globe, gallivanting around Europe, serving as a general in the Civil War. And to top it off, he was apparently a rather decent painter.
0: And on top of all that, his famous grandfather, as well as the man for whom he was named, makes his story really worth telling. Uh,
1: Yeah, I'd say so.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about Joseph Warren Revere and what makes him such an interesting person in American Catholic history.
1: And first, let's give a brief sketch of his family line and where his name came from. Yes, now...
0: Dear listener, a few names repeat a few times, maybe more than a few times. So stick with us and we'll make it as clear as we can. Right.
1: So in 1715... 13-year-old Apollos Rivois came to Boston from France to learn the goldsmith trade. He was originally from southwest France and his family was Huguenot, a strict Calvinist sect. Apollos was apprenticed to a silversmith rather than a goldsmith, and by 1722, when he turned 20, he had changed his name to Paul Revere. He got married and named one of his sons Paul.
0: This is the Paul who hopped on a horse and shouted about the arrival of the Redcoats.
1: Yeah, this Paul Revere was also, as we all know, a silversmith. He had a good friend named Joseph Warren... Joseph Warren was a leader among the revolutionaries, and he's actually the one who sent Paul on his midnight ride.
0: Joseph Warren also served as a general in the Continental Army at the Battle of Bunker Hill, and he was mortally wounded there, so he was an early martyr to the cause of independence.
1: So Paul Revere named one of his 16 children...
0: Yeah, 16. Yeah. It's
1: a good thing he was a hard worker and rather successful at his trades. (laughs)
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Anyhow, Paul Revere named one of his sons Joseph Warren and another he named John. John Revere also named one of his sons Joseph Warren, and this man is the subject of our episode.
0: But just to wrap this up, Joseph Warren Revere, the one we're talking about, well, he named one of his sons Paul.
1: And that Paul Revere, the great grandson of the Paul Revere, lived into the 20th century.
0: Okay, so that family tree drawn out. Let's talk about the life of Joseph Warren Revere, the grandson of Paul Revere, who became Catholic in 1862. Yes.
1: So this Joseph Warren Revere was born in Boston on May 17th, 1812. His famous grandfather was still alive at this point. He died just six days before Joseph Warren's sixth birthday in 1818. Through his childhood, Joseph Warren's family moved a few times due to his father's ill health. So Joseph Warren grew up in Richmond, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, and then back in Boston.
0: The common thread to all of these cities is that they were all port cities. Joseph Warren grew up in a seafaring atmosphere.
1: So it was no real surprise when he enlisted in the U.S. Navy at 14 years old. Yeah, 14. Mm. Goodness.
0: That's Young. Yeah,
1: they had interesting ideas about recruiting sailors back then. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't go to sea immediately.
0: No, he went to a naval school in New York City for two years. Yeah,
1: and after that, when he was 16, he went to sea. Then, from that point, for more or less the next 20 years, he would be at sea. During his time in the Navy, he learned the indispensable value of discipline. He learned how to be disciplined and how to instill discipline in others.
0: He traveled the world with the Navy. He took part in actions in the Pacific for a few years. Then, after going to another school to become an officer, he was assigned to the Venerable USS constitution, better known as Old Ironsides. Aboard Old Ironsides, he spent considerable time in the Mediterranean and the countries that surround it, especially Spain.
1: He was witness to and took part in many military actions there. He met many crowned heads and their families, and he generally took in every experience he could. Architecture, bullfighting, royal ceremonies, art. He took full advantage of his opportunities in Europe.
0: He also learned multiple languages, a skill that came in very handy.
1: Yeah, his European excursions had to have had an impression that contributed to his conversion to Catholicism later in life.
0: Yeah, You'd think so, but who knows? Because like you said before, he didn't really write about it or talk about it very much.
1: Yeah, but one interesting factor here is what happened among the officers on the USS Constitution during these voyages.
0: Yes, Revere and his colleagues had all spent time at the various naval schools in various cities. The different schools trained officers slightly differently. There was no one central school that taught all officers the same thing.
1: Revere and company thought this was a bad arrangement, so they discussed plans for one naval officer's school. Eventually, they put together a plan, which they presented to the Secretary of the Navy, who in turn, presented it to the Senate in 1836. It took nearly a decade, but in 1845, the U.S. Naval Academy was established at Fort Severn in Annapolis, Maryland, and the foundation for it was laid in part by Joseph Warren Revere.
0: And also there was a Catholic connection in setting up the Naval Academy.
1: Yeah, when the Navy was setting up the Naval Academy in 1845, they went to Mount St. Mary's Seminary up in Emmitsburg, Maryland, for guidance on how to set up a daily schedule for the midshipmen. As the story goes, they copied the daily regimen that the Mount used to establish their daily routine at the Naval Academy.
0: Just so many connections, foreshadowing, you might say. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) So, from 1836 to 1840, Revere served aboard a ship that sailed around the globe. They departed from Boston, made multiple stops in Africa, Arabia, India, China, the South Pacific, and then back around South America, through the Caribbean, and back to Boston.
0: He was promoted to lieutenant in 1841, got married in 1842, and promptly went to sea again. He served in the West Indies along the coast of Florida during the Second Seminole War, And then in California, when that became U.S. territory after the Mexican-American War, he actually was the leader of the unit that in 1846 first raised the Stars and Stripes over San Francisco and later Sonoma, thus asserting America's territorial claims to California.
1: But while he was in California, a major scandal erupted that he was implicated in. His guilt was not established definitely, but the scandal was enough to scuttle his Navy career. He was forced to resign his commission and become a civilian. It was a stunning end to a promising career.
0: Uh, Right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: After that, he actually stayed in California as a civilian because gold had been discovered in them thar hills and fortunes were being made. So he prospected in real estate and made some money before departing for business opportunities in Mexico in 1851.
0: While in Mexico, the president of that country asked him to help rebuild the Mexican military, which had been decimated by the recent war with the United States. Rivera's reputation as a disciplinarian and leader of men preceded him. He accepted the commission. He spent the next 10 months or so whipping the Mexican artillery into shape. He made such an impact that when he resigned from that position in 1852, he was awarded the Order of Guadalupe.
1: Guadalupe, another Catholic connection.
0: Yeah, like I said, they're all over the place. Yeah. And
1: It really was only a matter of time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, he finally returned home to his wife in Boston. As far as Rivera was concerned, he was done with military and big
1: adventures. Little did he know. Seriously. But he did make an effort to slow down and be a husband and father. By 1852, he and his wife, Rosanna, had two children, though their first child, a son named John, had died in 1849. They planned on having more children, however.
0: So, they bought land near historic Morristown, New Jersey, and built a beautiful large house which still stands today, Revere took pains to design a house and grounds that could be a peaceful retreat, and he named his home the Willows.
1: Revere and his family lived there at the Willows relatively peacefully for years, though tragedy struck more than once. Their third child, a son named Thomas, died at three years old in 1856, just 10 days before their fourth child, Paul, was born. Then in 1859, their second child and only daughter, Frances, died at 10 years old. They would have one more child, another son, Augustus Lefebvre, in August of 1861.
0: Paul and Augustus would both live to adulthood, dying in 1901 and 1910, respectively.
1: But that name, Augustus Lefebvre, is its very different. It's very Catholic. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's... Definitely stands out, doesn't it? Yeah. And Augustus Lefebvre was born at a time when things were clearly changing in Joseph Revere's life.
1: For one, by this point, August of 1861, the Civil War had started and Joseph Revere had volunteered for service with the New Jersey militia. In time, he was named colonel of the 7th New Jersey Regiment and sent to fight as part of the Army of the Potomac.
0: He once again acquitted himself well as a leader of troops. Others commented that his units were among the most disciplined in the Union Army. His regiment saw action in the Peninsula Campaign of March to July of 1862, but he was unable to lead his troops personally due to rheumatic fever. He was very ill, and he had to remain well behind the lines for much of that campaign. This illness did permanent damage to his
1: heart. In August of 1862, he was well enough to lead his men at the Second Battle of Bull Run, During that battle, he was severely wounded, including a wound to his leg, which would never heal properly and led to trouble walking the rest of his life.
0: Wounded at Second Bull Run means he may have been taken to St. Mary of Sorrows in Fairfax Station for treatment.
1: Right, the Catholic Church that was turned into a field hospital, and there he may have been treated by Clara Barton herself.
0: Right. You can listen to more about that in a previous episode.
1: Yes. So yeah, Revere was at Second Bull Run, and his gallantry on the battlefield was noted, leading to a commendation. But his health, as we mentioned, was badly shaken, and he witnessed a significant amount of death and carnage.
0: In October of 1862, he was sent to Washington, D.C. to recover more fully. While there, he was promoted to brigadier general,
1: and something else happened. Yeah, the details aren't clear, but what we know is that he wandered into a Catholic church and there he determined to become Catholic.
0: He said at the outset that his great-grandfather, Apollos Revoir, was Huguenot Calvinist. Apollos's son, Paul, the Paul Revere, was born in that strain, but was more Anglican. He leaned that way anyways. And then with John, it seems that religious faith kind of dried up. It doesn't seem that Joseph Warren was raised with any particular faith.
1: But he had actually studied Catholicism quite a bit throughout his life.
0: And he's certainly been exposed to Catholics in many walks of life, like we were talking about before, during his travels in Europe, California, and Mexico. Right. So he knew the doctrines and teachings very well, and he was familiar with the culture. When he presented himself to the priests, they found that he didn't need much instruction. Nice.
1: On October 19th, 1862, he was baptized in the Cathedral of the Assumption, the Baltimore Basilica. One week later, he received his first Holy Communion. And that's pretty much all we know about his conversion.
0: Yeah, try as we may, we could not find anything from his own hand about why he did it, what compelled him, what final thing brought about his decision to become Catholic.
1: But it was a fact he was Catholic.
0: After his conversion, he rested and healed for a bit longer before returning to his unit. He led them during the disastrous Battle of Fredericksburg, but his unit saw little action in that debacle.
1: In May of 1863, however, everything changed. During the Battle of Chancellorsville, Revere found himself suddenly in command of a significant chunk of the Union forces when the two generals above him were incapacitated. Everything was in disarray at the moment he took command, and what happened next became a matter for debate. Revere says he ordered all units under him to rendezvous at a particular point on the map about three miles away. He wanted to regroup and redeploy his forces in a more organized and intentional manner.
0: Others who did not like Revere claimed his action was actually a retreat, contrary to the standing order from above. They attributed his actions to cowardice.
1: An incredible charge to levy against a man who had never exhibited cowardice previously in nearly four decades of action on sea and land.
0: General Joseph Hooker, commander of the whole Army of the Potomac, for some reason grabbed onto the view of cowardice and brought Revere before a court martial. The trial yielded a mixed result and found Revere innocent on most most charges, but guilty on enough of the charges to result in his dismissal from the army and stripped of his rank. Revere was stunned and spent much of the rest of his life protesting his innocence.
1: He even published a 48-page pamphlet describing in great detail the entire situation, what he did, why he did it, plus an analysis of the testimony given at the court-martial. His conclusion, naturally, was that the guilty verdicts were ludicrous.
0: But his conclusions weren't just personal bias. Many others, including important generals, took his side. A group of generals wrote a petition to President Abraham Lincoln to have the conviction overturned. Fortunately, Lincoln did overturn the court-martial's ruling. He also restored his rank, but then in the same action accepted Revere's resignation as a brevet major general.
1: So now, finally, after nearly 40 years, his career of military service was over. He returned to the Willows and became active in his parish of the Assumption there in Morristown. And somewhere along the way, as we said before, he had become a rather skilled painter. He had done a number of murals in his own home, and he painted a depiction of the espousal of Mary and Joseph that he gave to his parish.
0: Sadly, however, that painting has disappeared from history. The current pastor of the Assumption said they do not have the painting and they have no record of what happened to it.
1: Very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Revere traveled quite a bit in his later years. On one trip back to France, he visited the ruins of the Chateau that once was the home of his Rivois ancestors.
0: But his health never recovered from the illnesses and wounds he suffered during the Civil War. Between his leg wounds and wicked heart, he could not work his farm. He received A full military pension for a disabled veteran.
1: He published an autobiography in 1872 titled Keel and Saddle A Retrospect of 40 Years of Military and Naval Service. I read sections of it to prepare for this episode. It is an interesting read. It recounts lots of his experiences on the seas and then during the Civil War, but it does not mention the court-martial at all, nor does it talk about his family, nor about the familial hardships of being separated from his wife and kids, nor of the deaths of his children. And then the final third of it is a collection of the sorts of stories that military men might tell each other while sitting around the campfire in the evening. They're interesting, but, you know, not autobiographical. But... There's no mention at all of his conversion to Catholicism.
0: Right. And that's an interesting thing. It's clear that his decision to become Catholic at 50 years old was something important to him. He stuck it out and sought out and received confirmation by Bishop James Roosevelt Bailey, a relation of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and the first bishop of Newark sometime in the later 1860s. He was an active member of his parish.
1: And he was a man of purpose, conviction, and discipline. He didn't do things on a whim or without deliberation and conviction. So his conversion had to mean something significant.
0: But it seems like it was largely a private thing to him. It informed his life, but he didn't wax eloquent about it.
1: But it must have been a consolation to him to the last. In his last will and testament, which he'd executed way back in 1863, he included his parish of the Assumption as the primary beneficiary should all of his family members predecease him.
0: Rosanna was still alive when he died in 1880. He was traveling to New York City to visit friends when he took ill. He lingered for a few days at a home in Hoboken, New Jersey, but his heart, weak ever since contracting rheumatic fever in 1862, finally gave out. He was 67 years old.
1: His funeral was at Assumption Parish in Morristown, and he was buried in Holy Rood Cemetery in Morristown. In addition to Rosanna, he was survived by sons Paul and Augustus. Paul would also become Catholic after his father's death. Both sons and Rosanna worked to protect his legacy and restore his good name until their respective deaths. Paul died at just 45 years old in 1901. Augustus died in May of 1910 and Rosanna just two months later in July of 1910. Neither Paul nor Augustus married or had children
0: and thus ended that chapter of American history spanning from Paul Revere's famous ride to the dawn of the 20th century. But Joseph Warren Revere's home, the Willows, still stands. It sits on a working instructional farm and open-air museum known as Foster Fields. The Willows is open for tours and includes memorabilia from the life of General Joseph Warren Revere. This has been American Catholic History. If you enjoy American Catholic History, please become a supporter. We've got great perks for supporters. Get information on how to become a supporter and the perks at AmericanCatholicHistory.org support.
1: Also on our website, sign up for our newsletter, learn more about Joseph Warren Revere, see about our, our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country. Space is fi- filling up. Space is filling up. It's this August. And find other great stories from American Catholic History.
0: We also love the great reviews our listeners leave. Those and the five-star ratings help others find us. You can also email us feedback questions, tips for episode topics, and other comments at feedback at American Catholic History.org. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noel Heister Crow and I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, made possible by listeners like you.